Market View on Money FM 89.3. We're coming to the end of the first quarter of the new year. And of course, the end of the first quarter was also pockmarked by elevated volatility coming from the commodity space. And of course, closely linked also to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is now coming into its first month. But how will this shape the outlook for markets moving uh, into the second quarter? And will a lot of this also have to be linked to uncertainty from commodities and oil prices that have really swung in various and un- unpredictable ways in the last couple of weeks? Well, today, to share with us their outlook for the second quarter, we are joined by Mr. Heng Kun Hao on Money FM 89.3. And Mr. Heng is the head of market strategy at EOB, and he's here to share with us their second quarter outlook and how all of these risk factors might be playing into what they're expecting in the next three months. Mr. Heng, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're having a good Thursday and good afternoon to you, sir. Thank you, JP. All right. So a good chunk of market outlook might be, and this could be argued, might be dependent on what happens with regards to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And there are a number of scenarios. Of course, everyone's crossing their fingers that we might come to a solution in the next coming days. But given how it's actually progressed, um, that might be a far-fetched reality. It's officially one month old, this Russian-Ukraine conflict. Um, Share with us, Mr. Heng, what is EOB's base case outlook for this particular event? And how is this anchoring your second quarter outlook? Okay, so as you say, we are one month into this unfortunate uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Um, of course, all of us hope that there will be a peaceful resolution and no more lives are lost. Uh, but objectively, if you look at you know uh, the, the the whole incident, now our analysis is that we place a a majority probability, about sixty percent, in fact, that this uh, conflict will drag on for the months to come. Uh, we only have a 30% probability you know, of you know, some form of a negotiated ceasefire. So, so the, 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 the catch is this. For financial markets, whether you, know, you have a negotiated ceasefire or a longer-drawn conflict, we all know objectively the sanctions by the US and the European Union on Russia will not go away. And that's the catch for financial markets. That means... You know, liquidity will still take, stay tight. Commodity supply chains will still stay disrupted, and the U.S. dollar will still stay strong. So, so we don't see any chance of you know sanctions being unwinded anytime soon. That's the tough call. Mm-hmm. Uh, these sanctions are probably going to be the stickler here. But uh, staying with commodities, because again, this was really the asset class to watch over the last couple of weeks, and there was talk. And if you recall, Mr. Heng, uh, there was talk of a commodity super cycle in the middle of last year as the supply chain struggled with COVID-19 bottlenecks. Talk of a commodity super cycle has resurfaced once again. But this time, the argument for this super cycle is different. Do you think that this time around, we are at the start of a super cycle, albeit, tra- uh, unfortunately, due to the, uh, due to the uh, volatility and uncertainty being unleashed by Russia's invasion? Mm. So, so the, the thing is, the, the word... Commodity supercycle is a very sexy idea, right? But we've got mm-hmm. to be objective. Now, if we say because of this conflict, you're going to get more investment into, let's say, oil drilling, more investment into agriculture, more investment into mining facilities, then yes, because a lot of the commodity investments for the infrastructure are, you know, dated and behind the curve. So this is indeed a supercycle for this investment in terms of the production and the mining of commodities. But... The, the, the word supercycle for commodities in its objective traditional sense is a long-term jump and growth in demand. 
So this is where it gets a bit, you know, uh, iffy because we all know that commodity prices, crude oil, natural gas, nickel for that matter, all shot up because of supply side disruption, because of the war, because of shipping disruption. It's not because of, yes, there's a bit of demand recovery after COVID, but the bulk of the rally in commodity prices is because of supply disruption. So technically, that's not really a super cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are definitely volatile. In fact, the last couple of days, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Heng, have left me rather uh, dizzy uh, because of well, just watching out for how oil prices move. We we saw a move to 130, followed by a move down to one below 100 dollars, and now back up to 120 dollars, of course. And uh, the big question, of course, here is that oil prices and its impact on inflation cannot be understated. Help us flesh out the relationship between between these volatile oil prices and inflation, and just how big of a challenge this will be in not just the last next three months but pretty much the whole year uh, perhaps the year moving forward yeah so so oil prices are definitely heading higher uh we're in a brave new world of above a hundred dollars if this thing goes south in ukraine again you can see 130 140 again right that direction is clear and the main reason is of course we know western europe depends on russia for about 40 percent of their energy supply so that's what's keeping market very, very nervous. And OPEC is not ready to pump oil anytime soon, or they do not want to. Now, how that relates to inflation is we did a study. Basically, every $10 rise in oil prices will have about a 1% bump in US CPI in the immediate half a year. And that drifts down to about a half a percent bump in US CPI a year out. So if you... If you agree that oil prices were below 90 you know, before the war, now it's 120 you have a $30 bump in oil price. That means potentially in the next half a year, we could see a 3% move in US CPI higher. And that's where everybody starts talking, maybe you see the 10% handle. So that's why you know that the Fed is now very anxious about rising inflation because all this is leading to higher U.S. inflation down the road. Mm-hmm. We're still speaking to Mr. Hankun Hao, the head of market strategy at UOB here on Money FM 80.3, and he's sharing with us their second quarter outlook. I'm glad you brought up the Fed just now, Mr. Hank, because uh, I do want to revisit their their uh, decision last week. Now, the Fed did not hike by 50 basis points, as he foreshadowed, but this week there seems to be a bit of a building U-turn. Some officials, including Jerome Powell himself, admitted that an upsized rate hike is still possible. Do you think that this upsized move might just be delayed and it's actually inevitable from members of the FOMC. Well, we, we all know that you know, all of us economists are increasingly critical that the Fed is so-called behind the curve mm-hmm. you know, because of inflation risk. And, and to their credit, uh, last week, Jay Powell, Jim Bullard, practically everybody have, since FOMC have ramped up their messaging that potentially they'll hike by 50 basis point come May. And, you know, our forecast is by the end of this year, the Fed may well leave Fed fund rates all the way up to about the 2% handle. And mm-hmm. if I may say, that 2% handle is a very conservative forecast, given where inflation is going. So I think the Fed will need to pick out its pace. It started running a little bit, but, but it needs to run a little bit faster. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen moves now in the uh, interesting moves, at least in the bond markets right now. And uh, while we have seen, uh, you know, short term yields also rise, we're also seeing uh, worries about the Fed and, and whether or not they can actually engineer a soft landing. And we're seeing it reflect in the yield curve. That's also starting to show some scary signs of an inversion. Should investors be worried about the yield curve flattening or even inverting where we see the short term yields rise above the long term yields? And is this, is this a sure sign? Sign that that we might be heading for perhaps a uh, a shallow recession in the future. So so the thing is, every time the Fed has a hiking cycle, everybody mm-hmm. worries about you know them hiking too fast, yuka uh, inversion, and and throwing the whole economy into a recession. Um, the the pro- the problem mathematically is this: we are starting this rate hike uh, with interest rates at zero, coming up slowly, right? 0.25. So, so all you need is because the very low nominal level of interest rates across the whole curve, one or two hikes in the Fed, and we dip into your curve inversion. So, so um, my two cents is this time round, uh, the predictive power may not be that strong for your curve inversion. But having said that, we must understand why we are afraid of your curve inversion. It's because the, everybody's worried that the Fed will hike too fast, too much, and that kills the economy. So, so... We are now at zero. Hiking from zero to two, I think, honestly, is very powerful the cost and very acceptable. Uh, and at 2%, you know, Jim Bullard, our St. Louis Fed president, was still arguing that you know, rates are still not restrictive. Uh, keep in mind that in the late 70s and early 80s, where we have really an inflation problem because of the oil crisis, mm-hmm. you know, Paul Volcker hiked from 5% all the way up to 20%. That is a very scary thing, and and I hope we don't see that. We're not certainly that's not the base case, but you know, then you have a feel of how intense that pace or rate hike is back then compared to two percent we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe St. Louis Fed President James Bullard is arguing for three percent by the end of the year. Indeed. When you take all of this into account, Mr. Hang, you know, bonds have been hammered in the last couple of years. I want to get your 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 thoughts on this because you do you have cut your teeth also in the fixed income markets. You know, we've gone from an argument against bonds because of how low rates have been, and this time around, they feel that inflation might actually hit them hit bond bond values hard, and also mm. because of all these hawkish follow ups, not just from Fed officials but Joaquim Nagel of the ECB. Now, look, is there even still a case to be had uh, to, to go to fixed income? Because it seems that the news is bad no matter which way you look at it. Help us understand whether there's still value in this particular asset class. Well, this is going to be a tough period you know, for fixed income because you know, bonds don't like rising interest rates, period. Mm-hmm. Right? But for that matter, it's going to be a tough period for all asset classes because as interest rates go up, you need to redo the valuation for equity. You need to redo the valuation for private assets, so on and so forth. So, so every asset uh, valuation will have to be adjusted. So I would say, you know, have a diversified portfolio. And if you're in fixed income, you know, it's even more important that you need to have the right and the good credits to write through this rise in interest rates. Mm-hmm. Now, look, uh, diversification seems to be the uh, catch-all advice during times of murkiness like this. But what else might you be advising clients to do, given the fact that these uh, these sh- these risks are uncertain and ever shifting? It seems almost by the day. We 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 like go. We have mm-hmm. a strong, uh, very clear, you know, convicted two thousand two hundred forecast for go by the end of the year. Uh, 
traditionally gold doesn't like rising rising interest rates. But in this environment, everybody needs capital preservation. Everybody needs to go for so-called safe haven protection. And this is where gold kicks in. So we're starting to see retail investors in India buying more jewelry. We're starting to see institutionals buying more gold ETFs. And central banks will absolutely need to diversify their country's reserves a bit more into gold. So all these things will add up and gold will be a good diversification tool, you know, irrespective of which spectrum of the investment you're in. So, so I would say, as a good rule of thumb, have a bit of allocation to gold, just in case the war does go a bit wrong from here. And we hope that the war doesn't go that long, of but course. just in case, we uh, there are ways to be protected. At least that's according to Mr. Henkun How the head of market strategy at UOB. Thank you so much for joining us today on Money FM 89.3 and sharing your outlook for the second quarter and assessing all these risks. As always, I wish you and your loved ones continued health and safety during these times, sir. And we look forward to next time you can join us on the show. Meanwhile, I hope you have a good evening ahead. Thank you, JP. Thank you. Stay safe. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.